from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome everyone to another episode of our podcast. We are cross-pollinating again. I am on YouTube with my dear wife, Wendy. If you haven't checked us out on YouTube, come check us out there. If you are watching on YouTube and you haven't checked out 600, this is the what episode? Not 600. (laughs) 242, 242. I I had 600 in my brain because I'm telling people recently we've answered over 600 questions. Oh, right. But that does not mean we have over 600 episodes because we answer about three questions every, well, not about, like 99% of the time we answer three questions per episode. So what was I just saying? If you, yeah, you were encouraging YouTube watchers to listen to podcast episodes. If you're watching us on YouTube, come check out the other 240 episodes of our podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. That's what I was trying to say. Thank you, you Wendy. To say, and we usually begin for those who are watching on YouTube and don't know our format. We usually begin with what we call a little banting, (laughs) uh, where we just talk about something that's going on in our lives. And what we did last night. Something very special to our family. Yes. We watched an old, it came out in the 80s yeah. on the on BBC, I think. It's a British production yeah. called The Scarlet Pimpernel. Right. And it has Anthony Andrews and uh, two different eye color lady. <laughs> what's, what's your name? Gosh. Seymour. Jane. Jane. Jane, Jane Seymour. Jane yeah. Seymour. Yeah, one eye's brown and one eye's blue, I think. Yes, you're right. Uh, but it's great. It's kind of, it's not like the production quality is not like superb, but the story is so fun. The characters are so fun. Yes. We quote this movie a lot. The pleasure. I can assure you. Is all mine. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a fun, fun view. So if you're looking for some family viewing and you don't have kids who are like rolling their eyes because it's old or the production value <laughs> isn't the greatest... Check out the Scarlet Pimpernel. <laughs> who's, who's your favorite character in Scarlet Pimpernel? Wendy? Oh, well, see, when you watch it again and again, you start to notice different yeah. people. And I happen to really, well, the Scarlet Pimpernel himself, who's the hero and right. just amazing. Um, but I also really like the Paris gatekeeper who keeps yeah, getting yeah, yeah. deceived by the Scarlet <laughs> Pimpernel. He is so funny to me. So I enjoy him. What about you? Uh, favorite character? Uh, probably Percy, who plays yeah, Scarlet Pimpernel by Anthony Andrews. He his his different mannerisms and expressions, yeah. they're fun and yeah. quotable. But what I was about to share was when I first saw Lord of the Rings in the movie theater. Uh-huh. Gandalf was driving me crazy. Yeah, I was like, I know that face. I know how do I know that face? Uh-huh. Who is that? Who is that? Right. But it took me. Like 45 minutes into the movie, and I was in the theater, I was like, I know who you are! <laughs> he, he plays Chauvelin, um, the chief inspector. Uh, is, that, is he chief inspector? Whatever. No, I'm getting I Clouseau forget. mixed up. I with, forget what anyway, it's um, he he's, play, a he's the main character, the guy who plays Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings series. So Ian, Mc, Ian McClellan, I think his name is, plays yeah. Gandalf, and he plays this character in the Scarlet Pimpernel. Right, but but he's so much younger. So much younger. Yeah. And he doesn't have a big nose <laughs> and the gray hair. And all. Anyway, <laughs> if you watch Scarlet Pimpernel and you're like, how do I know that guy? It's Gandalf. <laughs> yeah. 
So what can you update us about the Institute? I have some very exciting, long-awaited news for all of you who follow the work of the Theology of the Body Institute. Theology of the Body Institute Press, drumroll please, will be releasing very soon, within the next month or so, my latest book called Eating the Sunrise. Yes. And I owe you a word of thanks for that title. I had a, about 20 different options. Remember that? Yep. Like 20 different options for the title. And you said, go with the more poetic one. So I, let me put this in context. Some years ago, I had a student come up to me and say, Christopher, I don't want to just behold beauty. Like when I see a sunrise, I don't want to just behold it. I want to eat it. Mm. I want to take it in. And I use that expression in the book, Eating the Sunrise. So that's the title of the book, Eating the Sunrise. And the subtitle is Meditations on Liturgy and Our Hunger for Beauty. Mm. And I have to say, I think this is my 16th or 17th book. I don't remember exactly. But, and I think I say this of every book when it's my latest book, that it's my favorite book. <laughs> but this, I think, really is... Of all the books I've written, it's my favorite book. Mm. It's it's a it's a real honest look at why beauty attracts us, what it awakens in us, and what is the hope of the fulfillment of that. And ultimately, the fulfillment of that, really and truly, it's not just a poetic idea. The sun in the sky, in God's cosmology, and in the end, there's no other cosmology, only mm -hmm. God's. The sun comes forth like a bridegroom from the tent, it mm -hmm. says in Psalm 19. So what do we do in the liturgy? If Christ is the bridegroom and this rising sun, why does the church traditionally pray her liturgy towards the rising sun? Because what are we doing in the liturgy? We're going to eat Jesus, the bridegroom. We're going to eat the sunrise, exactly. Mm. So keep your eyes out. For Eating the Sunrise, it'll be available within the next few weeks. I think that's so exciting. I'm very eager to see it and hold it in my hands, Me too. which I haven't It yet. is kind of like a baby when you... Yeah. Because <laughs> you do. I mean, I conceive a book and I give birth to it. That's but my image. There's a labor to bring yeah, it There forth. is a labor. Absolutely, there's yeah. a labor. And so you hold it and you're like, there's my little baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but unlike babies, which... It, with our children, we certainly don't think, oh, I like this one the best because it's the latest. <laughs> but with books, I think that's appropriate because I think you're maturing, improving. It's something yeah. very hopeful and wonderful about liking your latest book because yeah. you should, hopefully, it should be a reflection of ever-deepening graces and improvement in your ability to share that. So that's wonderful. Another thing I, I like about books um, – no poopy diapers. <laughs> they have their own issues, though. They do. <laughs> Are you ready for a question Let's from a it. patron? This is from an anonymous patron who says, Christopher and Wendy, I really enjoy listening to you both. Recently, I found myself wondering how doing this podcast together has impacted you as a couple. What has it been like for you? Well, that's a fun question, isn't it? Mm -hmm. huh. Well, I will say this right off the bat. Doing this podcast with my wife is probably my favorite 
what's the like prong of my mm. my ministry mm. there are all kinds of prongs to what mm-hmm. i do i travel and speak i lead pilgrimages i teach courses i do youtube videos uh, without you um, i write books as we were just talking about lots of different prongs i do lots of interviews i'm mm-hmm. on other people's podcasts but i have to say wendy this is my favorite prong <laughs> I really do. That's I really, really, awesome. really, really love doing this with you. Not that it's always easy or convenient, or mm-hmm. we sometimes have to squeeze it in because we have busy family yeah. life. Uh, like today, we're recording this, and then I'm looking at the clock because we have to be at that gathering later yeah. this evening. Sometimes it just gets squeezed in. Yeah. But even on those days when I'm like, oh, man. It's a little bit of a, just a, you know, in the busyness of life, this is not something I'd want to do right now. It's, but we have to, because we have deadlines for the podcast. Even on those days when it seems inconvenient, or I wish we didn't have to record it today or this afternoon or whatever, without fail, when we do it, when we sit down and record, I'm always refreshed. I'm always blessed by the beauty and wisdom and insights that pour out of your heart, mm. Wendy. Uh I love, love, love hearing how you answer these questions. It mm. blesses me. And I sometimes sit back when we're recording and I just think, who gets to be married to you? <laughs> who is the guy who is so blessed to have Aww. you as his wife? And then it hits me that I'm the man. Aww. And I feel loved and blessed by God. <laughs> I really do. That's awesome. So yeah, with, with any endeavor to answer the question, there are joys and trials in, in, mm-hmm. in doing this. Uh, but it's, it's in the joy and in the trial. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. One, one of the trials, maybe you want to speak to this, Wendy, because you're the one who goes through all the questions. We, we do share and carry burdens that we learn about that people write mm-hmm. in. Uh, and and there, I mean, there's so much suffering in the right. world. And, and that's, that's a trial on the one hand, but it's also a joy because you're entering into communion mm-hmm. with people around the world who are vulnerable enough to share what their real struggles are. So, yeah, I, I, I want to, I wanna, when I say the word trial or there are burdens connected with doing this, I don't want any of our listeners to think at all that this is overall uh, anything but a, a, a blessing. Yeah. It's a real blessing. And with every blessing, there there's a cross to carry, but it's a fertile cross and, and even a joyful cross. Thinking about this question in particular has caused me to think back over the years of our life and growth that have taken place since we started recording our podcast. And Which was almost five years ago. This oh this December will be five years. Since so a lot it. has happened yeah. um, in our lives. And um, one of the things that I can go back to is when we recorded our very first episode. Yeah. You broke down in tears. I did? You did. Refresh my memory. Because you were so touched by working together with me. It was our very first Ooh. episode. Did I break down in tears in the episode or, I think or it was at after, the end? Right after when we cut, you know, you just now needed I, some yes, time. I do remember that. To weep. I, I, because I, I, of, it had been so many yeah. years since we worked together in right. this way. This deep longing that you had. Yeah, for that's us to right, work together. Wendy. I had forgotten. Yeah. So that is a beautiful thing. And I'll also say for myself, like one of the things I have 
always marveled at for you is your ability to answer people's questions. Because so often, if I hear you speak, you have an opportunity for people to ask questions. And just the, the way that you can kind of focus in on the essential element that needs to be addressed, sometimes questions are confusing and there are a lot mm -hmm. of details <clears throat> that you have to sift through to get to the most essential thing. Your courage in proclaiming the truth as you answer questions just would inspire me so much just to witness that. And it was something that I just sat back and watched for so many years before we started doing this together. So I do enjoy that. I enjoy you answering questions. Um, it's something I that just draws me to you. And I'm, I am very grateful to be part of the process and, and do this together with you. Um, Thanks, Wendy. I think just like, you know how sometimes as a couple, you might like to eavesdrop on your spouse's conversation with someone else because yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you learn something right. when you hear them talking to someone else. Well, well, we learn things about one another. Yes, we do. On, through by doing this, this conversation with our listeners. Yes, we do. Which is kind of Absolutely amazing. Absolutely, we do. Yeah. And sharing that memory uh, of, of when I wept after the mm -hmm. first recording, it, it was, it does, it expressed my longing mm -hmm. to to be involved with you in this work. And when we first got married, we, we did a lot together. We did marriage prep together and mm -hmm. uh, even did a little bit of writing together. And then the kids started coming along and, and it just wasn't possible for so many years. And when we were at that stage five years ago where you were ready to, mm -hmm. to jump back in, it was just a, a delight to me and remains a delight to yeah. me. Really grateful to the anonymous patron who asked this question. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. And I hope as a patron that you are taking advantage of all the benefits that we offer our patrons. So if you're not, go to your, go to your website page for patrons. And if you're not a patron, check out the link to learn more about becoming a patron. Mm -hmm. You help us and we help you guys to learn and live and share this theology of the body through our patron community. Our next question is from a listener named Caroline. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. I grew up Catholic and attended Catholic schools, and I've heard a lot about purity and chastity. I've started seriously dating a man, and we've been dating for nearly half a year, having known each other as friends beforehand. Before this relationship, I never thought that the issue of chastity would be a problem for me. <laughs> Naively, of course. <laughs> there must be something going on here. Now that I'm in this relationship, I'm wondering how I can balance desiring intimacy with my partner in the context of dating without adopting a mentality of how far can we go before it is, quote, wrong, end quote. Yeah. Because naturally that leaves us both wanting more, but still feeling like we've taken things too far. Well, Caroline, thank you for the honest question. And when I kind of made that comment, ah, sounds like something's going on here. I, I meant that in a, in a positive way. <laughs> uh, I would say if, if you didn't have a challenge in chastity, then there's something maybe... I don't know, something you're out of touch with in your own heart. Mm. Like Eros is a beautifully uh, human experience. And the wrestling with Eros that is part and parcel of learning to love another person is just that, part and parcel of learning to love another person. 
And we all have to go through that struggle. Whatever you're calling in life, whether you're called to marriage or called to a celibate vocation, wrestling with chastity, and by that I mean learning to orient eros towards the truth of loving, is mm-hmm. something we all have to go through. Yeah. And I just, I don't find it credible when people say, I've, I've never struggled with that, or I mm-hmm. don't struggle with that. Uh, are you, are you, what? Are, are you learning to love? Are you alive inside? Are mm. you, are you, put it this way, chastity is not about canceling our passions, canceling our desires, right. erasing them. It's about directing them towards the true, the good, and the beautiful. And in this fallen world, that's going to be a struggle for all of us. I remember, Wendy, when you and I were engaged, so a little bit of a different stage of relationship than, than this couple. But I remember I got to a point where I was so concerned that we were going to go too far in our affections that I started putting up a wall between us. And I was like, just, I saw myself, and I remember you remember this too, just we were distancing ourselves from each other because we were afraid of how attracted we were to one another, and we're so attracted, we're going to choose wrongly and screw it up, and Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that, so wall. Mm. And I remember realizing when I saw myself putting up a wall towards you, I remember thinking, wait a minute, do I think that if the wall were to come, do I think I really need a wall between us to protect us from unchastity? Do I really think that if I let the wall down that you would consciously choose something for me that was not good? Do I not trust you to to honor me and and love me in the right way? Uh, And can I trust myself to want to honor you and love you in the right way? And I remember having a talk with you about this and saying, apologizing to you, because you were feeling the distance mm-hmm. that I was putting, placing between us. And I said, Wendy, I trust you. I, I trust you to choose my good. And I want to prove myself to you as trustworthy in choosing your good. And I remember us making the conscious decision to, to take that wall down and trust each other to choose what is good. And that demanded a lot of communication that demanded a lot of open conversation, um, but it really, and we didn't, let me just say this clearly also, there were times when we realized, oops, we, we crossed boundaries. And I regretted that we crossed some boundaries, but I knew we were both very sincere in desiring each other's true good. And we learned from those boundary crossings, okay, that's a boundary, and I remember when we crossed it and how we crossed it, so now we've learned. That, to me, was much more human in experience and genuine and sincere in experience in learning to wrestle in directing our passions rightly towards each other than wall. And the real danger in that mentality of put the wall up is, well, what does the wedding night become? Oh, now we're allowed to let the wall come down and just go with our passions, even if they're disordered. No, no, no. Marriage is not some legitimate opportunity to indulge your disordered passions. The, the journey of chastity, the journey of purity, the journey of 
directing erotic passion towards the true, the good, and the beautiful is lifelong. And the Catechism says this, the self-mastery required of chastity can never be considered gained once and for all. It demands renewed effort at every stage mm-hmm. of life. That's a paraphrase, but it's, it's the very point the Catechism makes. Mm-hmm. And certainly you and I, we've been married for almost 28 years. Um, we know that's a lifelong yeah. journey. And I, I really strongly resist this mentality. We even say things like, you need to be chased until you get married. Yeah. Wrong, wrong. You need to be chased your whole life. Mm. Uh, there's so many things wrong with that statement. Uh, first thing is, chastity isn't something you give up once you get married. Second thing is, chastity is not merely abstinence, right? Chastity is the directing of all of our erotic passions, yearnings, desires towards the true, the good, and the beautiful. There are different expressions of chastity, whether you're married or unmarried, but it's always the same principle, directing my erotic longings towards the true, the good, and the beautiful. And something I think is so helpful in Theology of the Body also is when Pope John Paul II talks about the language of the body, the prophetism of the body, the spirit. Speaking. Can you unpa- unpack the yeah. prophetism more? Prophetism meaning a prophet means one that speaks the truth, and the that our bodies and their complementary complementarity as male and female have the potential to speak the truth of God's self giving love. And I think if we take that in, the, the language of the body, the desire to speak the truth with our bodies can be such an orienting, yes. not just in our thoughts, but in our hearts. It can orient us in how we Amen. express affection as a couple. And because we can start to recognize the full gift of the body or the two bodies, is an expression of the total gift of wedding vows, a sacramental gift. And we don't want to lie yes, yes. by choosing that expression when it's not truthful, when we aren't married people. We, If we let that sink in, and I think maybe part of what our questioner is saying is like, yeah, I thought I did let that sink in, so now mm-hmm. why am I like, oh, how do I actually do this in my relationship? But So it's, it's going to a deeper level. level. You, you can't know how that needs to sink in until you come up against the challenge of the relationship itself. So that's not a sign that anything went wrong in your taking in of that truth. It's an it's a it's a opportunity to apply that truth to your relationship. So many couples now in our world, have no experience, like zero, as in from their first date, they have been lying to one another in this expression and many others, you know, with their bodies. So they have no experience of respecting the meaning God has given our bodies and their ability to be united. They no experience of that. And for couples like that, when they hear of, something like natural family planning, an expression of chastity in marriage, an aspect of it. They think, but I, we love each other. You're going to like not let us show our love because they don't even recognize that 
the self-mastery and the freedom that we can develop through a relationship like our questioner is in, it allows us to express love in our bodies in self-mastery, in deep respect for the other, in learning our limits, in learning how to be restrained for the sake of a good that we await and kind of a joyful anticipation of that rather than a resentful, as you were talking about with that wall, a resentful, that's withheld and I'm bummed. No, we don't have to, I mean, we may experience that, but we can also experience other things through that transforming power of grace. And I do not think that any couple, no matter how much they've learned theology of the body, concepts, they can, you cannot live this without the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have to call upon the Holy Spirit to deepen graces in your heart that enable you to be the person that can love that other person in a way that's truthful to your relationship. And that's what we want to do. Amen. You know, earlier I was on the answer to the last question, I was talking about having these experiences doing this podcast with you where I, I see what pours out of your heart and mm-hmm. I think, how blessed is the person who gets, <laughs> married, gets to be married to you? I'm having that experience right now. That uh-huh. I'm, I'm so blessed to be married to a woman who desires this. Mm. Um, thank you, Wendy, for desiring this. You're, mm-hmm. you're desiring my good. Right. And it, it dawned on me as you were talking that this resentment we can have towards chastity, and, and John Paul II speaks of this very insightfully in his book, Love and Responsibility, that we can have this resentment towards chastity. And the resentment really comes, he says, from sloth. Oh, yeah. Sloth is the vice that is sad because the good is difficult. Mm. Choosing the true, the good, and the beautiful is difficult for us as fallen human beings. So we can resent that it's difficult. And that sadness or resentment is, is really sloth. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's out there and you're struggling with chastity and you're resenting it, mm-hmm. or you find yourself saying, who's the church to say rah, 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 <laughs> Pray against the vice of sloth. Mm-hmm. And pray to see the splendor of the dignity of the human person. John Paul II is so clear on this, and when he uses the word splendor, he means the the radiating goodness of of the human being, the the beauty that flows from the dignity of a human being. As as we glimpse it, as we come to see the true value and dignity of a human being, we don't want to violate it. We want to honor it. We want to uphold that dignity of the person. Chastity, in its true understanding, can only be motivated by that. So back to Caroline's question. She said, uh, how can I resist this um, understanding or approach to chastity of just uh, just when do we cross the limits or how far is too mm-hmm. far? If you find yourself asking the question, how far is too far, your, your heart has, has already shifted towards a legalism. Mm-hmm. And chastity is not about legalism. It's not about just following some arbitrary rules. Mm-hmm. Chastity is about the liberty to love, right? We talk a lot about sexual liberation in this culture or sexual freedom. Mm-hmm. But what does the culture mean by that? The culture means do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, the culture means indulge your compulsions without ever saying no. Is that freedom? 
No, don't take a deeper look. That's slavery. And if we're in that position of, of a kind of enslavement to our passions, it's within that that we start thinking, well, how far is too far? I want to do this, but oh, there's this law that tells me I can't. And then we resent the law. We have a wrong understanding of true sexual freedom, which is not the liberty to indulge my compulsions. Rather, it is liberation from the compulsion to indulge. Mm -hmm. That's self-mastery. I am master of my desires. I am master of my erotic passions. And I'm motivated in mastering them precisely because I see the value and dignity of the other. And in seeing it, I want to uphold it. I want to honor it. Mm -hmm. That's the motivation to gain self-mastery. It's like the discipline of a musician who wants to gain mastery of his motor control so he can play the piano and make beautiful music. He's heard that beautiful music and he says, I want to make music that beautiful. That's going to take discipline. That's going to take sacrifice. But that's a constructive sacrifice. That's a constructive discipline. It's always, you're speaking of construction, you're always building towards a freer, deeper honoring of the, the other's goodness. So I would say to Caroline, pray to see the true dignity of this person you love, and you will want to honor it. You will want to sacrifice to honor it. I have a funny story to share with our listeners. Do tell. You have one of those smirks on your it's face. Funny. It that is just... funny. <laughs> when I had my first dating relationship, first boyfriend, I... Um, Wasn't I? No. Um, I, <laughs> I remember being quite surprised by his interest in showing affection to me that was kind of, I mean, not that I had no desire to show affection to him, but but his, he was definitely a little more excited about it. And I, I remember thinking, I wonder why he likes me so much. He, he barely knows me. Uh, <laughs> I think that that was just a little sign, like... This amount of, you know, passion should correspond to a knowing yes, and yes, a, yes, a loving yes. that we just hadn't had time to develop yet. And I, I just thought that was kind of a funny confusion that I experienced. He, he barely knows me. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that shows your own integrity, Wendy. It shows that you had an intuitive sense. Yeah that the physical affection being expressed here does not correspond to the honest place our relationship right. is in right so yeah. it was a you had a good barometer there i know i know but i just think i was also very naive, naive. yes you were you were <laughs> that was kind of funny <laughs> are you ready for the next yes. question this is from an anonymous listener hi christopher and wendy i love your podcast and i've been listening pretty regularly for almost two years now you guys are amazing and have changed how i look at my faith and my everyday life I actually had a question regarding using, quote, the pill form of contraception for purposes other than birth control. My fiance has always had somewhat irregular cycles, sometimes a couple of months at a time in between. It really hasn't been too concerning to me until her most recent period where she had such heavy bleeding that she was passing out oh weak and really unable to do anything wow. for five or six days. 
I'm actually a medical student, and I know from experience that the average non-Catholic doctor would recommend hormonal birth control like the pill to help regulate cycles and prevent excessive bleeding like this. My fiancé and I have been living chastely, and we will be married next June. We were wondering, is it appropriate to take the pill right now if it is prescribed to help her have more controlled bleeding? Or is hormonal birth control something that should always be avoided? Also, would it ever be appropriate to take the pill even when we're married if the primary purpose is to help her bleeding? If it was acceptable, would would we be required to abstain from the marital embrace for as long as she's taking that medication? Thank you. I really appreciate your insights. I'm I'm really happy that this questioner raised this because there's a lot of confusion about this. And Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of confusion even in some of the way he worded this. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said... Would it be wrong to take the birth control pill? Um, it's, it's like halfway through there for, for mm-hmm. medic. How does he say it? Would it be wrong? Is it always wrong or something to... Is hormonal birth control something that should always be avoided? Yeah, okay. If you are taking it for birth control as a contraceptive, yes, it should always be avoided because mm-hmm. contraception can never be justified because mm-hmm. to render the sexual act sterile is itself an intrinsic disorder and and evil in right. that sense. Um, but this pill could be taken to treat a medical condition, not to treat, you shouldn't get pregnant, but to treat a medical condition because taking this pill has all kinds of effects, some of which could be beneficial, right? But if you are taking the pill with the intention to render your sexual act sterile, your will is contraceptive in nature. And the sin of contraception is in the will. Mm. I will to render this act sterile. Paul VI said this in the document Humanae Vitae from 1968, which was the encyclical that reaffirmed the Church's constant teaching on the subject. The pill was a new technology at the Mm -hmm. time, and he said, if you are taking this pill, he didn't call it a contraceptive pill, he said, if you are taking this for therapeutic reasons, right, to treat a malady such as she has, which is mm-hmm. heavy bleeding, mm-hmm. the doctor is not pre- prescribing the contraceptive pill for heavy bleeding. The doctor is prescribing a pill to treat the heavy bleeding that has the unintended side effect mm-hmm. of rendering the woman sterile. But if the intention is to treat the malady and not to render yourself sterile, then you do not have a contraceptive will. So the sin is in the will, not in merely the taking of this pill. So it's, it's a case of what is the intention? The intention is to treat a malady. It has an unintended, key line, key word, unintended side effect of rendering you sterile. If you were, oh good, I have this malady, I'm getting treated with the pill, but oh good, it's also rendering me sterile. Thanks be to God, we were hoping we wouldn't have children anyway. Well, now you have a, now your your will is participating Mm. in the contraceptive reality, right? So where is your will? I wish it were as simple as that. Yeah, as you're saying that, I was thinking, I was kind of remembering the stages of our own learning about this yeah. issue. And it's, it's more complicated than that because the pill sometimes works as an abortifacient. Mm-hmm. 
And that makes this a very thorny, complex issue. The medical literature was not in at the time Paul VI said uh, a woman in good conscience could take the pill for therapeutic reasons so long as she is not willfully intending the contraceptive side effect. What was not known at the time is, is one mechanism of the pill is to change the lining of the uterus. There could be a breakthrough ovulation on the pill. A child could be conceived, and a backup mechanism is that the lining of the uterus is changed, and so a newly conceived child travels down the fallopian tube and is unable to implant and is aborted. Because of that danger, in order to avoid that danger, and he does bring this up, would a couple need to abstain? Here's the clarification I want to add. The couple would need to abstain not because the woman has been rendered sterile, because that's not intended, Mm -hmm. right? But the couple, in order to avoid the possibility of a child being conceived and being aborted, and different moral theologians would come down on on different sides here, and I mean moral theologians who are faithful to the church and really trying to discern these thorny issues. Mm Right? Because one, some moral theologians who are faithful to the church and sincere might argue, but that's also an unintended side effect. I would be of the opinion where I would say, yeah, but you know in advance it's possible that a child could be conceived and be aborted. You know that in advance. So I would say, if you and I were in this situation mm-hmm. where you had to take the pill for a medical reason, mm-hmm. I would want to abstain because I would not want to be risking conceiving and aborting a child. That would be, that would be the stance that I would take, mm-hmm. and that would be my counsel to anyone in that situation. So this person is asking me, and that's my counsel. But I would also say this, so important, there are alternative treatments to heavy bleeding that don't involve taking the pill that can also be contraceptive in effect and abortifacient in effect. Yeah, and I would like to just say something about that because it was um, in your graduate degree when you were studying that you learned to answer this question as you did Yes. Um, about um, taking what's marketed as a contraceptive but as a medication to treat something else. Um. But then as we, you know, continued in ministry and we met different doctors, Catholic doctors who are faithful to the church, we learned that it, especially uh, the Paul VI Institute, where many doctors are trained to really understand a woman's cycle and to use ethical um, treatments for problems with her cycle, that they are required to um, agree never to... Con- to prescribe any, I don't know how to, what word to use that will the, kind of, those medications that have the unintended side effect of also rendering the woman sterile, and the un, and the possibility yeah. of abor- of being an abortifacient. Right. We were asking why that was required, and the doctor. I remember a conversation with a specific doctor who was just illuminating this for us that there are options that don't involve supporting the whole contraceptive industry at all, that are better. And it 
seems to these doctors to be kind of a lazy approach, a simple approach. Let me write this quick prescription rather than really understand why is there heavy bleeding? Because after all, while it might relieve the heavy bleeding, it doesn't address the cause of the heavy bleeding, what is actually going on. So their sense is that the gift that Catholic doctors can give is an honoring of the woman's body and a desire to truly understand the cycle. And some of the medications that they would prescribe are hormones, but they're meant to support a healthy cycle. So I'm so glad that this medical student is asking yeah. this question because it's opening up just an opportunity to talk about a whole realm that so many doctors just have no idea of, that there really is good research and ongoing research to understand the intricacies of the woman's hormonal system and to be able to support its healthy functioning. Yeah, why don't we encourage this doctor to, or this doctor in training, yeah. to uh, to look into that. We will post in the show notes for those listening just to the audio and in the description on the YouTube video, mm -hmm. we'll post information on the Paul VI Institute. Yeah. And uh, NAPRO technology, isn't that mm -hmm. what they call it? Natural reproductive technology, NAPRO technology. Uh, and the thing I love it about it is just what you said, Wendy, it works with the woman's right. cycle, with, with her real symptoms also to get to the root of the problem right. rather than just masking it. Let's shut her cycle down. Yeah. Uh, so the distinction here is important. It's not absolutely immoral to take the pill for a therapeutic reason, mm -hmm. But why do that when there are much better options? Right. The sadness is very few people know about these much better options, which gives us the great opportunity to help people be yeah. aware of them. So we'll, we'll have the links uh, in the show notes and in the description on YouTube for people to learn more about this so important. We hope you were blessed by today's episode. Uh, please hit that share button if you know people who need to hear the information that you learned today. Uh, we look forward to being with you in the next episode. And you know how we typically end these. I'm going to pass it to you, Wendy, to say it first. And we'll do it in reverse. I'll end it. You are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.